your weekly fix of Asian music. This is Asian Pop Nation. You're listening to Asian Pop Nation on Sin, a show where a bunch of Asian people talk about Asian pop music and pop culture. We started off the show with two supremely groovy tracks. The first was Korean indie artist Dam Duck with her song Seriously. And after that, the iconic KR&B singer Crush with a single from his newest album, Wonderigo, called Hmm Chit. My name is Tracy, and on tonight's show, I'll be joined by Leisha and Lee. Thank you very much for joining us on tonight's installment of Asian Pop Nation. The headliner for tonight's discussion will be an in-depth review of the new Red Velvet album, Chill Kill, which we'll be actually playing quite a few tracks from as well. After that, Lee and Leisha will be talking through the new animated TV series Blue Eye Samurai and their experience at the recent Animaga Anime Expo in Melbourne. But right now, it's time to play some more music. Let me tell you, it's all killer, no filler tonight. I mean, it's always all killer, no filler, but like the killer tonight is like super killer. So next up, we'll be playing a trio of very pretty drum and bass inspired songs. The first one coming up is from a very underrated K-pop girl group, Weekly. This is one of their B-sides from their latest release, Colorize, and it's called Odyssey. The last track you heard was Take My Hand by Zero Base One from their Melting Point album. Before that, we played Ocean Bomb by Baby Mint. Fun fact, Lin Lin, formerly of the girl group Cherry Bullet, is now in this group. And before that, we started our trio with the lovely track Odyssey by Weekly. Speaking of things that are lovely, me and Lisha sat down recently for a good chat last week to talk about the newest album from Red Velvet. We had a lot of thoughts. Enough thoughts, in fact, for a two-parter. I'll cut right now to the first part of that discussion. If you know anything about us at all, you might know that Alicia and Ethan are humongous revelops. They are huge fans of the girl group Red Velvet. And so we thought it would be a good idea to dedicate a whole segment to their newest comeback, Chill Kill. You're so right that this was a very, like, very highly anticipated comeback for myself and Ethan, who's not here, but I will, you know, I'll mention him several times so that he's not left out. This has been a very highly anticipated album for many, many reasons, but I'll say probably the most biggest obvious reason is because this is their third full studio album and they've not had a full length album in six years. I love SM. I love this company. Since the sarcasm in my tone there. Oh, six years? <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time. The last one was the Perfect Velvet album. Oh. Look, and I, I feel like if you don't know Red Velvet's discography or anything, that sounds like insane because they're like, whoa, did they just have like nothing in between? How are y'all thriving as fans at all? But it's no, they have like mini albums throughout the years. But no, this one is the big deal. Third album since the perfect velvet album and again i was very very hyped for this their last comeback was birthday which i checked was back in november 2022 so it's been a while since i've had a nice hefty album full of like girls that i just love vocally all coming into one place and i can just listen to it all in one go but yeah this album's out it's 10 songs they had a lot of very interesting promo for this comeback each member had their own like individual teaser and it was very like eerie sort of vibe each girl is kind of just like sitting on a couch and there's like a clock that's just like clicking in the back it kind of feels like a scene in a movie just before someone's about to get killed 
Yes, yes. No, it's like exactly what you say. Yeah, that very eerie sort of like something bad is happening. And no, they had I would say pretty pretty good promo clips and all that stuff before the music video and everything came up, leaning towards that very mysterious, creepy sort of vibe. They even had a moment where their Instagram account just got completely like taken up by um photos that were like all the photos were of the girls some were edited in a like vintage camera sort of format and some were edited like looking like they were scrapbook photos from like a diary or something and all the captions on all these instagram posts were really kind of weird to read they all felt like they were personal diary entries that a member was writing like there's just all this weird mystery and eeriness and you're kind of like what is going on here and i guess clearly they had a plan here and when chill kill the music video came out yeah that music video i've watched it a few times i still don't really know what the plot is but the girls are acting they are going for oscars with this one the music video was like i say quintessential sm-ness where the plot kind of makes no sense to the promo but it's it's still cool to look at the girls are like burning down houses they're getting chased by police when they get caught by the police they're just dancing to the chorus at the end um you know creepy girls doing creepy things but they're smiling and happy and yeah sisterhood girlhood moment <laughs> but uh, I- kids, women have hobbies yeah, exactly when i watched the music for the first time and i heard the song not gonna lie, in the first time I was very like, whoa, because the beginning of it was definitely all very like mysterious. And again, Red Velvet in the past, not so much anymore, but in the past, they had their music very like strictly categorized as like, oh, it's either a red style of music, which is like the bubbly and like fun and all that stuff, or the velvet type, which is like the more like sultry r&b type yeah exactly but they don't lean into that as much anymore but in the past that was what like the image was kind of like sectioned off into until then people still i guess attach that sort of thing when it came to this comeback and when you hear the song the way people categorize it is like oh in the start it feels like it's like purely in that velvet route type of thing peekaboo-esque moment and then the chorus comes and it's very much more bubbly than you expected it's to go. bright but the mm. lyrics are like i don't know what the korean lyrics but the english lyrics are like what a chill kill hope that you will bring me lightning like a winner which yeah. are very strange lyrics i think i don't know they just conjure up a lot of different things you think of like hunter gatherers i hope you will bring me this thing from your kill from the hunt but also it's like bring me lightning so there's like this norse mythology thing going on i don't know but it's very it's a very strange lyric but i like it I would also like to say that the whole like red velvet being either red or velvet thing is like classic SM giving the groups like a concept yeah. that is like highly specific and then they abandon it. it. <laughs> like um, <laughs> yeah, like the whole like Rises brand was emotional pop, which no, no. <laughs> not none of they have one song which can be classified as emotional pop. Whereas Red Velvet, they started with the whole this is a red comeback, this is a velvet comeback, and now that whole typology doesn't really apply anymore. Mm. But fans are still so like attached to that concept. Yeah, exactly. And people yeah. were thinking that Chill Kill from like all the teasers and everything that came up people like oh this is totally gonna be a velvet concept all that stuff even though literally the girls when they're like getting interviewed and all that stuff about the comeback they're like oh no this is like a fun combo of both really (laughs) 
It reminds me of like birthday. Like I wouldn't describe it as like bubblegum pop. I think it's no, just because yeah. it's brighter compared to the verses. Yeah. Like when I heard it, I don't know, it has this kind of regal feeling to it, you know? Mm. Um, in terms of all that lore stuff you were talking about, I saw the fans going crazy over like, oh, like playing all the teasers backwards and oh, Joy's actually the sister. And it was all just stuff that was very creepy and that made no sense to me, but very cool for them. It's always cool when teasers can give fans that sort of a reaction that's mm. a pastime of like let's connect the dots and we- this story will eventually make sense to us um also i wanted to mention that their teaser photos were p- photographed by cho gisok who is a very famous photographer who does a lot of fashion editorials and they're so pretty like they're the gorgeous yeah the aesthetic oh is what made me listen to the album it's like Vintage and elegant, but also haunted. And yeah, exactly. And some of them are holding like a dragon fruit in their hand. Yeah, like fruits. Yeah. The paint colors are like black and yeah, exactly. Like it feels red. like it feels like they're attending like a funeral or something. Yes. They're all wearing like black and they all have long black hair, like identical. They're all staring blankly into the camera. Very classic red velvet blank stare. Anyway, should we talk about the album? Oh, yes. No, I was going to say, like, what do you think of the title track itself, Chill Kill? Um, with title tracks, people will often say, oh, the title track is my least favorite song on the album because there are so many B-sides which exceeded. But honestly, title track might be, like, my third favorite. Like, I actually really like it. I like it better than their past few title tracks, mm. like, say, Birthday and stuff like that. I like, again, the weird interesting witchy lyrics mm. i've been listening mostly though to this album as a whole so i haven't really yes. been listening to that song in isolation listening to this album as a whole at night while walking around actually makes me feel scared i don't know whether or not it's because i watched all those trailers and read through some of the fan theories so i know that it's meant to be a scary-ish album but also it feels like it's like a sickly smile that's holding something menacing back there is a lot of creepy stuff that's in the background. The main thing that stood out for me on first listen was the vocals. Mm. Specifically, Wendy. Yeah. Is crazy on this album. As she always is, but she just, like, every single time she opens your mouth, you're like, how can a person sound like that? That's, like, a very common sentiment I've seen as well, because she did just wrap up, like, being in a musical, like, production, and mm. a lot of people are feeling like, with this album specifically, her voice really, like, she takes it up a notch, which I didn't know was possible to take up a notch, and a lot of people think it's accredited to the fact that probably while they were working on the album, she was already doing, like, the musical and all that stuff. That and- makes a lot of sense. I noticed that the Pentagon members like mm. they, they have rough vocal periods and better vocal periods and their better vocal periods are always when they're doing music musical yeah. yeah that explains a lot she sounds amazing she's like so expressive specifically in a way that you don't hear i think in a lot of k-pop girls she just sounds really warm and she sounds really different depending on what she's trying to convey she's like really in control of her voice I will say also that Joy and Sulgi also stand out. Um, I guess because they're vocal line, right? Like this is not unique to this album, but their tones are distinct from each other, but they all belong to the same family. Yeah. And so they sound really good together. Like they're all very sweet voices. And I think that makes the sort of creepy horror in the background more unsettling. Yeah, those are my thoughts about the album as a whole. You're listening to Asian Pop Nation on Sin, and we've just played three songs from the new album by Red Velvet. 
These were Chill Kill, followed by Nightmare, and then finally we played Ice Coffee. Right now we're in the middle of discussing this Red Velvet comeback. In the segment coming up, Leisha and I discuss some of our favourite B-sides from the album. Without further ado, I'll cut back to our conversation from earlier. In terms of actual tracks, the one I think I like the most is Ice Coffee. Oh, really? It comes like halfway through the album and it has this wonderful, the backbone of the song is this keypad that's very chimey. It sounds like ice cubes to me. And it's just like ASMR, the whole song, and that's just in the background. The lyrics, again, I really like the English lyrics. There's not that many, but there's the one, it's like, you've got me up all night like iced coffee. And I was like, wow, poetry. Like, I've never heard such an elegant innuendo in a K-pop song before. And that whole song is just very vocal and very pretty. I think it's the prettiest song on the album. I definitely resonate with, like, how you describe the album overall. I really, really enjoy this album so much. My favourite is probably Underwater, which is in that whole album the most, like, leads into the R&B as sound. It just melts so nicely and this is not exclusive to this album i just really enjoy where everyone collectively sings together in like the choruses or just in like parts of the song that doesn't really occur as much i find in current day k-pop but red velvet always deliver on that front and any song where the chorus comes in and they all sing together i'm like ascending up like the harmonies it's just oh it's perfect to me and i've just been missing that so much when i'm listening to other releases they blend so well because again their voices are kind of similar to each other so it just melts together into a very coherent whole Mm. also with i was listening to underwater specifically thinking about you and why you like it it's very sultry i think it's mature in a way that not a lot of girl group songs are because most girl groups are super young (laughs) and um red velvet is the rare third gen girl group that is still together and (laughs) and because of that they they can sort of actually be like sultry it has there's this sort of tension throughout this whole song which i would describe as sexual Mm. (laughs) (laughs) and yeah i haven't heard a song that's quite this straightforwardly sultry like in this specific vein of sultry in case mm. for a while yeah it's just very r&b just like straight up yeah R&B. it's straight up straight up yeah and then there's like a ton of other songs where in the album again it, it very much leans into that very like creepy creepy like sort of vibe oh, that yeah. i really really enjoy i think it's really like a nightmare Hold yes on, like- i like nightmare especially <laughs> the verses Like, listening to the verses, you don't know where they're going to go next. The way they meander is very interesting to me. The chorus is quite straightforward. Like, it has a bit of a twist to it, but the verses are just really interesting Mm. to me, just to listen to. Um, In terms of creepy songs, I would also say that Clock Who's There samples Mm. lots of the Sugar Plum Fairies from Tchaikovsky's, one of his ballets, like either Swan Lake or The Nutcracker. And that's usually, I associate that with Christmas, but they've used it here to be like a creepy, like, what's it called? Like a music box? Like a music Mm, box. Yeah, Um, yeah. 
dull sort of sound. And they're just like literally singing about like, oh, got a devil on my shoulder and all that <laughs> stuff. Like that is literally in the chorus lyrics. Um, they're really leading into the whole like sweet horror thing. True, because there's like a line as well where they're like, bibbidi bobbidi boo. And I was like, oh, oh that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's <laughs> like, so that funny. Has, like, like it's meant to be creepy, but then they go bibbidi bobbidi boo and you're like, oh, it's still K-pop. <laughs> <laughs> it's still, it's yeah. still K-pop. They gotta, they gotta be like they gotta do some cute. goofy. Goofy, lyrics, goofy cute moment oh god this album is just so oh and they're it's, one of the rare groups that actually gets me to really enjoy like ballads but i just love their voices so much that like yeah when you have vocals like this i'm listening to the very end like wings and scenery i'm there like yeah wings is giving me like i'm at choir with my <laughs> sisters and scenery is just beautiful vocals God. Scenery is so beautiful. It actually makes me a bit sad. It's that sort of, oh, it's the ending song. We're, we're sad about it. Well, it's not just their voices, but their ballads are beautifully produced. Like, mm. I feel like SM, the producers really step up for um, <laughs> Red Velvet albums, I feel. Oh, we got to mention, Will I Ever See You Again? Oh, yes, which is, I think, the Mr. Ethan stamp Ethan's of approval. Song. Ethan's favorite song. My Takes- least favorite song on the album. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's cute that they got to take a little, like, uh, phone ringtone thing and put it in the chorus. That's, like, cute. <laughs> it's just not really my thing. <laughs> uh, I'm just not a... As I talk about, I love Red Velvet because I love when they sing all together in the choruses. Like, to me, that is really, like, peak Red Velvet. This one, the chorus is more of that Nokia phone ringtone thing in the chorus which i was just like oh okay like it's not bad i'm just like it's, it's not like a go-to song when i'm listening yeah. to red velvet that's not the type of sound i'm looking for you know but yeah it reminds me of that era like it sounds straight out of a time capsule from like 2013 to me this song mm. um, it also reminds me of say like the first churches album the first lord album the reason why i don't like it is that it sounds really cold to me mm. it sounds very icy and cold in a way that the rest of the album does not mm. and so it sort of breaks the vibe of the album for me will i ever see you again makes me feel lonely and sad i don't know why something about the way that <laughs> the little phone ringtone mm-hmm, take yeah. it away but no that yeah. is ethan's favorite it's um, very he- nostalgic i can yeah i think it's maybe it's just not k-pop it's very like western western pop, pop. yeah i feel like that definitely i mean again not bad inherently just in this album i also don't think it fits like what everything else was going for i feel like this one is the one outlier yes yeah. oh i just found the words for it there is zero camp in that song <laughs> i like red velvet because most of the like they're either beautiful or they're like camp and there is it's no camp in that song at all there's nothing to like help the coldness go down oh <laughs> I want to shout out Bulldozer specifically because Bulldozer reminds me of something that FX would do. Right in the beginning of the song, they're like, er, 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 er. I can totally see how this would totally fit in like an FX one. I think so too, actually. Also the lyrics. FX loves like their weird lyrics. Like the Rum Pum Pum lyrics are literally like, I'm a wisdom tooth that I'm going to grow out the side of your jaw. And this song is like, I'm a Bulldozer. What can I break? The course is just, what can I break? What can I break? Which is not something I've really heard in K-pop before, but is a very relatable feeling. 
I would say frustration is probably one of my top three most common emotions. <laughs> so this song speaks to me on a deep level in that regard. Yeah, like I'm a poet, I'm your pain, I'm a bulldozer, yes. yeah. <laughs> I love that. Again, this song extremely cap. Yeah. Extremely cap. But yeah, I, I will say those my top three are probably iced coffee, chill kill, and nightmare. I really like the title track. That final chorus part scratches my brain in all the right ways. And I re-listened to Chill Kill so many times just specifically to hear like that final chorus part. But I'll say like Chill Kill definitely up there. I really love this as like a title track comeback overall for them. And yeah, I said Underwater, that's a standout favorite to me because I'm a predictable R&B girly. But I really like moment i'll say now i really like one kiss as well in the album (laughs) that's their like retro boy group moment Mm. oh it's just good this album's just solid it's a solid one great comeback from them red velvet guys listen to it just listen to music just listen to it (laughs) if you ever just love music and singers who sing (laughs) come on this is the peak you're gonna get oh god like these girls they just know what is up so listen to choke hill album you know let us know what you think of this album what are your favorite songs through our social medias asia pop nation facebook twitter and instagram and yeah i feel like this if this album came out a little bit earlier it totally could have been in our halloween like one of those songs yes. could have been in the halloween playlist oh, and now like it's too late yeah, yeah. <laughs> too late <laughs> you've always got next year you can just do a full red velvet yeah future apn people who will re-listen at some point probably us i don't know put this one in for next year <laughs> you're listening to asian pop nation on sin a show where we like to play a lot of k-pop and tonight's no different you've just heard three songs starting with the last one you just heard which was overflow by vivis vivis if you don't know is a girl group consisting of three members of the former girl group g friend their last mini album was called versus and i've been listening so much to the b-sides on this album specifically the b-side we just played overflow and another b-side called untie which they have been promoting with some very very excellent performances lately overflow in particular i think ties in really well with the vibe of the new red velvet tracks we played before it one kiss and underwater in this next part of the show we're going to give the k-pop talk a bit of a break and we're going to be talking about an animated tv series that lee has really been liking recently it's called blue eye samurai and it's set in 17th century japan the voice cast features a whole bunch of familiar asian american talent including brenda song and randall park but i'll leave it to lee to tell you guys more about it So two days ago, I think, I was actually watching the latest Rick and Morty episode. (laughs) What? And then once it finished, Netflix, like, plays a bunch of trailers for, like, whatever shows they have. And they played a trailer for their latest show called Blue Eye Samurai. And just by watching the trailer, it literally, like, compelled me to just start watching the first episode. So I decided to check it out. And little did I know I would actually go on like a binge moment because of how good it was. Um, so some background information for Blue Eye Samurai. It was created by the husband and wife duo Michael Green and Amber Noizumi. And 
for the film nerds. Actually, they say this in the trailer, so I was like, oh, cool. But Michael Green has co-written for films like Logan and Blade Runner 2049. And then I'm reading this now, but allegedly he is writing a film adaptation for Bioshock. Oh my God, which is like my favorite game ever. Exactly. I was like, this is your, I was like, I'm putting it here as like a nod to Miss Lee. Specifically, because yeah, you love Bioshock, that whole series. Ah, oh, love this Again, it, it's like apparently allegedly that that's like a project that's happening yeah and that netflix is also going to be like apparently handling that too so wow but again continue your your love and appreciation (laughs) for this project wow okay well keep up the good work mr michael green (laughs) the cast actually so the show is set in like 17th century edo japan where um japan has pretty much closed their borders to the whole world um and people of other races essentially they're banned from entering and even being in japan so that's like where it's set the story is essentially like our main character called mizu so they're of mixed race um half japanese and half white and then during that time period if you are biracial you're deemed like as a lesser being so like you're on the same level as an animal so mizu has been discriminated against his whole life because of his blue eyes um and then after some things that happened in his childhood he's pretty much the whole story is that he's now set on revenge to kill the only four white men that were in japan during the time when he was born and then for this season the white man that he goes after is a man called abijah fowler um who's illegally hiding in japan anyways it's it's great um i'll talk about the cast because i didn't like i just started watching this like i didn't even read about anything about the cast but the main character mizu is voice acted by maya erkstein which is the main character for pen 15 the tv show which i when i found out i was like what that's crazy and she is um half japanese and half white as well so I think perfect fit, like she did a good job. And then for Princess Akemi, it's Brenda's song, which is Leisha's love of her life. I thank you for remembering that. She is my childhood icon. So it's so surreal that I saw her name there. I was like, oh, this character in. is like girl boss. Oh. Um, yeah, I love her. Um, and then next we have Ringo, who's played by Masi, Masi Oka. And then Tigan by Darren Barnett, which honestly, I was like, whoa, he kind of sounds like Zuko, but not really like like a grown up like version of Zuko. So oh I was God. like looking up his voice actor. I was like, who's voicing this? Is it the guy who voiced Zuko? But it's not. But um, no, it's voiced by the Darren uh, Baron, who I I know because he's in um, Never Have I Ever the show on Netflix. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> as one of the love interests. Wow. So no, it's just crazy. Like it's crazy that he's like in this sort of project, yeah. which is like way more serious and gritty at all. But yeah, continue. <laughs> um, yeah. So you have Seki, who's voiced by George Take, and then Heiji Shindo, who's voiced by Randall Park, which is like, well, like I didn't even realize <laughs> until after I looked at it. I was like, oh my god, like that's why it sounds so unique and familiar because it's Randall Park. But the smaller recurring cast, so we have. Stephanie Shu, Ming Na Wen, Harry Shum Jr., and Mark the Case Goss, and more. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 
it's amazing like so this show is not like an anime but it has so michael and amber are huge fans of anime so they draw a lot of inspiration from that but the show is like a 2d and 3d hybrid animation and i think it looks great like it looks amazing like it doesn't feel weird like like you know in like actual anime there's like weird cgi 3d like for arjun and berserk 2016 um lol like that they didn't do it that well but like in this one it's like it just like i don't know it's like i'm watching people do their thing but it's actually an animation and then the backgrounds are all like hand drawn and all that and then the writing itself like michael green okay like go off and oh and the music and the score is amazing because it doesn't feel like they just put like japanese music in there's like a mixture of both western and japanese which kind of like it reflects the husband and wife's like dynamic because they're like the wife is japanese michael green is a white man but yeah please watch the trailer because that itself just like compelled me to watch the show and then you know i ended up binging it all in two days um and like if you're interested in watching it but you don't have netflix they actually have the very first episode up on youtube and it's over an hour long yeah it's amazing and there's like this little like reveal at the end of the first episode yeah it's good (laughs) oh my gosh i mean what is a thing that i guess kind of made you kept watching like binge through the entire thing you know yeah at first it was definitely the animation and like all the they had like a lot of fight scenes in the trailer and i just thought it looked really neat like Mm. usually like for animation it's like like you can tell if they're being lazy or like i don't know like it, it it will look weird but this one it just looks amazing that was what made me keep watching like the second episode but then the story started to pick up and then you're like oh my god like this is all revealed about our protagonist they do this thing where in each like story segment they will keep flashing back to just the past and like how they grew up and yeah very cool i don't know just the writing like i like the story i'm not like a cinephile or anything i think it's great (laughs) (laughs) it's fantastic it's great great You're listening to Asian Pop Nation, Sin's resident show for Asian pop music and pop culture. We've been having a bit of a nostalgic moment on tonight's show with the three songs we just played, starting off with Salma Salsabil with Bunga Hati, followed by Taiwanese artist RG with the song Coffee. And lastly, we played Kiss of Life with their B-side, Nobody Knows, from their album Born to be XX and God, Those Vocals Are Sumptuous. Next up on the show, Lee and Leisha will be continuing their discussion of Blue Eye Samurai. This is a show that Lee recently caught on Netflix and which has captivated her heart. I remember this was more of like a combo you and me had personally because you recommended it like for me to and our other mutual friend to watch before you talked about it in the show. And like that was one very interesting thing in terms of like the co-creators, their thought process with coming up with this story. Because apparently this was something they've already been, like, curating for, like, 15 years ever oh, wow. since the their first child was born. <laughs> there is, like, this one very specific line that they say in a bunch of interviews that they do for this show, which I showed to Lee and I was like, oh, wow. This is oh, crazy. <laughs> this is so interesting, which was, like, the catalyst, I guess. Like we mentioned before, the actual co-creators are like husband and wife. And when they gave, apparently when they gave after the birth of their first child, 
who had blue eyes themselves. Amber Nozumi herself apparently had a moment where she thought to herself, like, whoa, why am I so like happy that my own daughter has blue eyes? Like, why am I really, why am I more happy that my own baby looks more white than the Japanese? And that kind of spanned, I guess, from that on, like thinking back to like, they looked back at the actual like Edo period where it was a basically illegal to even be remotely yeah. associated with white whiteness at all and yeah and then it just like cultivated from there and i was just like from that i was very curious because you watched it right of yeah. like how they tackled that whole like biracial part like that part of this character means yeah um okay so in that period if you're biracial and you have like white features at all like you're just deemed as you're just an invalid in the show closest people around her blind sword maker and her like apprentice kind of he doesn't have any hands so he like he has like these tools that help him i think it it kind of just shows like oh like they're not useless like as like all the people around them sort of like bully them and be like oh you're you're lower than a dog like like you shouldn't even exist like i should kill you right now and like you're so useless but then the whole show is just highlighting because they have like all this struggle that they go through they like learn how to accept themselves and also we see in like mizu at the start mizu sort of like um like I'm out for revenge because these white men made me into like a monster like there's no other way like to accept myself but to kill these people but then by the end she's like like oh like this is who I am like I'm not like a monster but you know yeah it's really interesting like to just to like analyze did that answer your question (laughs) no no that was good no, I'm just curious about there's a lot of like, uh, uh like uh, this is just more me talking personally with you because mm. it's like I'm usually with shows like these that take place in a historical like time period and whatever, TBH, I get very disinterested in all like the mm. history talk, like when they get like when they're the they have the characters basically be a mouthpiece of like being like a history teacher to me and telling me exactly Mm. what's going on and not really using the i guess my pet peeve is like they're not using that environment that they purposely set this time period in to i don't know explore something new or whatever and not just being Mm. a mouthpiece and giving me a history 101 class uh where i can watch a documentary for that yeah um but do you feel like with this show yeah i'm assuming there's gonna be moments they're gonna tackle like the like history there's a princess in here so there's definitely gonna be a lot of like ooh drama in the castle and stuff you know like i don't know do you feel like they do that sort of thing with this one yay nay no i think not really they don't really say like oh like we know that this is what it's like but i'm just gonna say it so the audience understands like there's none of that um the only like time that there is that is literally the first scene it's like a few texts that's like 17th century Edo Japan um Japan has closed all their borders to the outside world like for everyone that's literally it in terms of like the princess thing they definitely do tackle like how back then women literally were just used as property like okay so her father is like trying to marry her off and then the husband can like come work for him or whatever and then her whole life she's like I don't want to be like property like I want to like this is what I want to do and then her whole like the whole show is just everyone around her being like this is just like how women are treated and like this is how society is there's nothing you can do about it but then the whole thing is just her being like but I don't want this to happen to me and then it's just her like you just 
watch her like struggle and then she learns skills that benefit her pretty much. Uh, <laughs> okay. yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, I mean, look, I'm uh, you you've already had my attention from like out the moment you said watch this trailer because the trailer is very sick. <laughs> yeah. Like I cannot lie. Like yeah. the trailer is very very cool, very intriguing. I quite like the character designs of like the main character. Mm. Um very Oh, gender ambiguous appearance. <laughs> yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Watch, the, watch the first episode to find out. <laughs> Would you even watch on YouTube? <laughs> <laughs> but no, my gosh, this is such a sick recommendation, Lee. Mm. Like, that's crazy. I can't believe you got this from like Rick and Morty of all places. Yeah, literally. Um, they were like, oh, you like animation? Let me give you this new samurai new one that just came yeah. on i feel like it literally had no like i did not hear about this at no. all until you exactly like, yeah brought up i didn't to me. hear about it until netflix like showed it to me and the but... cast is like stacked as well yeah with silence I think, yeah. Oh, I think one way to describe this would be ancient japan samurai john wick but animated so that's like mm. the type of fight scenes that you get it's ah, pretty good oh damn i just remember as well with the casting I like saw in the same article as well that the two creators really made it a point that they want to like air anyone even if it's just like a voice that's just like mummering in a distance they want it like everyone I guess voice acting wise involved to all be Asian for this mm-hmm. one yeah so I was like wow. okay come on rep <laughs> come on rep let's yeah. go so I thought that was like very interesting as well and I was like yay yay this is amazing <laughs> no it sounds really good though I'm definitely gonna be watching it yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. at least yes. the first episode guys <laughs> it will pull you in like it did to me <laughs> and hopefully it gets picked up because uh, not to say yeah. Netflix has a habit of dropping things but oh that oh, is yeah. the case but this really seems like it's like just on a trailer wrote this is like crazy passion project business mm. it's mm. nuts oh my gosh but thank you lee for your amazing wreck yes <gasps> please let yeah. me know if you watch it and listener if you watch the trailer and you also watch the first episode please let us know via our facebook instagram and twitter and I will definitely reply to chat about it with you. <laughs> oh my god! She's gonna set up a me. video call. And like, it would just be me specifically. So, what did you think? <laughs> what did you think? What did Let's you unpack? <laughs> you're listening to Asian Pop Nation on Sin. My name is Tracy, and I hope you're enjoying the playlist tonight. The last three songs we played were all kind of disco inspired, or had a bit of disco in their DNA. The last one was. Being by Taba featuring Becky Rin from his newest album Madness Always Sense of Sadness. Before that we played a track by Crush featuring Dynamic Duo from Crush's new Wonder Ego album. This is actually my favourite song on the album. Before that we played Sumiko Disco by iconic J-pop girl group Perfume. This song is actually a theme song from a very cute animated movie and I guess speaking of cute animated things, Lee and Leisha recently attended a convention celebrating all things anime. If you're a weeb active in Melbourne then you might have heard of the Animaga Festival from a couple weeks ago and if not I'll let Lee and Leisha tell you more about it. Last week on APM, we talked about a few festivals and shows that our team attended. 
like the Twice concert. A few people also went to the Japanese Film Festival. And you might be thinking, like, okay, like the people of APN are done. There's no more conventions. There's no more festivals. The holiday time are coming. There's nothing. But we are here to say no because Lee and myself <laughs> went to a certain convention that had its big resurgence moment because this is like the first time they ran it in their own solid one in quite a while. And、yeah. that convention is the Annie Manga Convention, <laughs> which took place from the 11th to the 12th of November in the good old Melbourne Convention Exhibition Center. Like I mentioned, Lee and myself, we went just kind of casually on our own. We went to day one specifically, so we don't have the full like rundown of the two days. But oh boy, do we have a lot to. Hell about this experience we've had. I guess first we'll put it out there. Have you been to any manga before? Because I have not prior to this day. I also have not. But our friend that we went with, she's been last year, I think. And also Zenya did her maid cafe thing last year at Animaga. Yeah, that、um, is true. Yeah. <laughs> so we were like, oh my gosh, should we go to the maid cafe? And then we ended up just being like, no, it's too cringe. We can't go. But that was like a whole separate thing. So it wasn't actually in the venue.、Itself. Oh, yeah. It yeah. has some, this layout was definitely a bit of a, it was quite interesting. It was not a layout I've ever seen in all the other conventions. Where、um, they kind of had a very specific hall dedicated to them, but it was like right at the end of the convention center. And it's smaller than I thought because、yeah. other conventions that have, I think, we've been to throughout the years and stuff like that have been a little bit more、like、larger. Huge, yeah. Yeah. Or like at least they take up like one or two big rooms or something, but this was kind of like one.、Yeah. Log、yeah. type of thing. Like, you could clearly see all four walls when you walked in. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're like, whoa, it's so like tiny. And、yeah. then one of the probably biggest reasons why this was the case was that there were like three other conventions that were happening in the same <laughs> day, going across for the same weekend as well. So That's probably what happened. And any manga ended with having that specific room dedicated to them. Again, the layout was something I've not seen before in other conventions where it feels like mostly it was prioritizing like the artist alley section. I think、yeah. that takes up like majority of the space.、Mm-hmm. And even the, they have two stages, which are for like one is for performances and one is for like panels. Any sort of interview s thing that's happening. They were across like the two different corners of the、uh, venue, which again, like Lisa, you can you can see everything very clearly.、Um, and sound travels far. So everything is very like kind of all squeezed in tight or whatever. But still, you could tell that definitely the artist alley makes up like majority、mm. of this festival and things like、uh, like the maid cafe that you mentioned, Lee. Those were all located like outside of the yeah, hall in a like, different section of the、mm-hmm. center entirely. Like a little quarantine, cultural quarantine. Yeah. Keep you safe <laughs>、yeah. from the maids and the butlers roaming free inside the cafe. Mm hmm. Clearly.、Oh. <laughs> By the way, guys, you should listen to last year if you haven't already listened to last year's segment that Xenia did around this time on her experience at the maid cafe. It's like eye opening investigative、yeah. journalism stuff, like truly. 
girl Anyways. was like undercover <laughs> really she was giving us the content oh my goodness so i mean that's just us talking like generally the lay on all that stuff but i guess to kind of like rewind a little bit too Lee and myself and our friend actually getting to the venue and going in because we actually came quite early as recommended by our friend mm. <laughs> to basically snag all the good artists alley stuff. It was a good um, call. It was a very good call. So we did actually show up there early. The thing, like the actual event opened at 10, but we were there at like 9.30-ish onwards. Yeah. Uh, basically, there was already quite a lot of people there. So we waited like in kind of the more outside line situation that they had. Everything was kind of chilled then. And then, you know, once the, the pearly gates opened, <laughs> everyone like that was already inside kind of was able to swoosh in. And yeah. then it became us, the outside people that could like start coming in. And then hmm. <laughs> until we arrived at the start of the line and we we're like getting the wristbands and stuff. And then the people were like, all right, like you guys can go on through. And then when we got to the door, they were like, you guys can't come in, we're at capacity. And then so we're like walking back and we're like, what is happening? Like, where's the communication? So we're just, there's just like a group of people just like walking over to the pearly white gates and then walking back to the like huge line. We were just like technically out of the line, but also in there. And it was just like uh, the three yeah. of us and plus like a couple of other people just standing there while the staff were literally talking amongst each other, trying to work out yeah. what the heck was going on. And they're right all, next to us. Yeah, right next yeah. to us. And we're just there like eavesdropping. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, you know, one of those things that if you're like a consumer and you're hearing the staff or volunteer people having no idea what's going on, it kind of makes you also be like, oh God, like yeah, this exactly. event's a mess, you know? Puts that impression already in you. So we were already like, it's gonna be a little crunchy roll 2.0 yeah. moment. Oh, oh. but. <laughs> Okay, we got in and it was like not crowded at all. First thing we did was just head straight for the artist alley and we just looked at every single booth and it was great. I think the booths themselves, they were like not spaced too close together. So I didn't feel like I was getting crushed by 10 billion people like later on in the day. But the artists themselves, they were really nice. Like we would chat to them. Um, no, it was a really good, like, smooth, like, that mm. artist alley. I mean, for me, like, any convention to me, the artist alley is always going to be, like, the peak. And I think with this one specifically, it was very nicely organized, very nicely done. And, yeah, every artist there, as per usual, like, they're always so down to chat if you even remotely express an interest in, like, the thing that you're buying and be like, oh, my God, I love this character. They will go, like, oh, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> like, yeah. one time, I was just standing in the stall for quite a while because they had, like, Trigon stuff and I was Whoa. like going through it and Lee and our other friend were just standing there on the side and those two ended up talking with one of the artists there yeah. about an entirely different show yeah. like they were just recommending <laughs> yeah. like Lee to watch that what's it like Moriarty yeah because I picked up like a badge with these two men on it and I was like just to our friend I was like oh who's this and then the artist was like oh guys and then she just like went off and like started talking about it and yeah i'm probably gonna watch it i think it's called like moriarty the patriot or something yeah like exactly that. it's like she a sherlock it. holmes thing but yeah she was like guys you gotta listen to this and i was like okay like this is great like again it's just like uh it, it, artist alleys are always peak incredible designs incredible like people who make all these designs and it's just oh and the selection was crazy for something uh -huh. that is like it's an anime manga festival so of course in your head you're like anime and manga characters mm. but there are also a bunch of people who obviously 
really like their own special interest stuff and they'll always sneak it in in their own stall. So there was yeah. a lot of Baldur's Gate, games, <laughs> yeah. which is neither anime nor a manga. It's a D&D <laughs> Oh yeah, there was heaps game. of like gaming stuff. There was a booth that was just for D&D. Yeah. Dice, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dice and things. Um, a, a lot more stalls than I thought were doing like Valorant, which is neither any of that Whoa. like section. But I guess people just really like the characters again and it's just I, I always find sometimes it's really cute because in those moments I feel like that's where you find like a show you didn't think about but suddenly it's there and you're like oh my god yeah. like whoa I actually really like this a lot like I completely spaced out Spider-Man like my brain was not thinking about Spider-Man and it went walking and I saw one stall had like the most amazing Hobie Brown print I ever saw in my life and I mm. froze on the spot <laughs> I was like oh. I was sweating <laughs> I was like oh my god this is such like god it's just so good like, again could sing so many praises about any artist alley but this one was very nicely organized and done and i think if you've not been to a convention before or like in our case we were going to a convention together for the first time it's like me lee and our other friend we've never been to a convention collectively together this was a really nice enjoyable time like very easy breezy and because mm-hmm. the venue is not massive like packs or something so it yeah. feels like you can actually take the time to really walk and make jokes crack jokes among each other we <laughs> see like a silly a little silly art or something like that again probably really good convention to go to if it's like your first time ever because it's very low like stakes i feel and not overly crazy mm. doesn't mean that there wasn't some crazy stuff happening probably the most unique thing about any manga is the fact that it coexisted with other conventions happening in the mm-hmm. same venue insane lineup by the way insane <laughs> lineup <laughs> Um, the first one being, let's start with the most seemingly innocent one. The Mind, Body, Spirit Festival was happening. We actually went in because they had free tickets. But I don't know, like before I went in, I was just thinking like, oh, this is just going to be like crystal girlies mm. and all that. But it was actually like a lot more. There were people selling like spices, chai, vegan food. And then there was massage parlors run by Chinese people. So yeah, it was like really interesting to walk around and see. And then there were two other expos that were we didn't go in. We but... didn't go in because they actually cost money, guys. Yeah. But yeah, the two other expos that coincided. One of it was the just general Australian crypto convention yeah. happening. So a lot of men, white men in business the suits coinciding with people dressing out as their fairy Genshin characters. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very weird <laughs> image to see on that day, but it was happening many times. And another one, which was Sexpo, one of like <laughs> Australia's biggest, I guess, festivals that focuses on like the sex industry and like entertainment and all that jazz. And I just say it's just particularly interesting to me that that one was the one that was right next to Annie Manga. Yeah. And Annie Manga is no age restriction. It is like a there were children yeah it is deemed as a family friendly event right next yeah. to sexpo which literally has signs there reminding you that it is an 18 plus event and you have to walk like you have past to walk them. past sexpo to get to animaga because animaga is all the way at the end so technically you have to walk past all of these including the crypto bros and their money laundering moment yeah. um 
<laughs> the type of people that you just see in like the foyer area was just so interesting. It was people in suits, people in furry costumes. Like, yes. are they going to Animaga or are they going to Sexpo? You don't know. And then just like people in cosplay, like the Genshin characters, and then just people in like full blown like bondage sort of stuff. Oh yeah, like but, lingerie yeah, and things yeah, like, like that. Lingerie. Yeah, that was cool. It was such a <laughs> like I've never like, I've never been to a festival like a convention hall before where it was such a random mix of people yeah and we're bringing this up because it's like i swear this is like the biggest talking point of like anyone who went to any one of those festivals on that day because when i went on twitter by the end of the day and was like mildly scrolling down i saw so many posts that went viral of people posting as you enter like the melbourne convention center they have a sign there that shows you what doors to go to for each one so it's all lined up there and you see people posing or just a general photo showing them like what the heck is this lineup (laughs) and just people um some people also captioning it with like oh it definitely smells in there um the odor odor. oh not beating the allegations i'll say that um yeah like all those went viral and i guess we we live in the moment we can put that on our like tick on the bucket list (laughs) it was just crazy like just the crowd remembering it was the most like bonkers thing i've ever seen but it was so interesting at the same time I had a convo with a friend actually that like they are quite active amongst like the cosplayer scene specifically. They were like, oh, Leisha, guess which groups from those different festivals were like the most, I guess, considerate towards cosplayers and all that stuff. They're like, guess within those groups would it be? They said like the top was like the mind, body, spirit one. Like people who are going to the mind, body, spirit festival. The demographic is a lot of like middle aged white women. I'll say it out there. Yeah, the mind, body, spirit ones apparently were the most like, according to my friends, whenever like people who were going to that convention was seeing cosplayers, they'd just be like, oh my god, like who you dressed up as, even though they have no idea what character or show they're even talking about. They're like, your costume is so cool. <laughs> like, it's crazy you made that yourself. But it makes sense because it's like mind, body, spirit. Like, they care about their, you know, mental well-being and they're like, <laughs> yes. happy people. Yes. Yeah, happy people. Miserable. The wellness, yeah. And not miserable. They know <laughs> the secrets to, uh... I mean, in that festival that when we went in the mind, body one, oh my god, Lee, I don't know if you remember, as we were walking past, I remember there was this one stall that was selling these gummies but the gummies there were like they were advertising it's like no one's like oh if you have it like like oh try these gummies out like you know can help with like normal health related things and then it said there as well that it could help with ptsd and and i was like whoa (laughs) hang on a minute (laughs) they cracked the code and i didn't know it like (laughs) they're like ptsd and depression and trauma and i was like oh it also kills cancer and gets rid of covid (laughs) it's like one of these things and it was just like oh my god again they cracked the code maybe they have and that's why they're so slay and positive about cosplayers. Waha. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I don't know, Lee. Final, final thoughts. It was fun. It was pretty good. Like, I didn't have huge expectations or anything. Like, I think three out of yeah, five. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> three out of five. Wait, five out of five? 
Yeah. yeah, no, I would I would also yeah, three out of five as well. I think like they had normal day one problems that I think a lot of fe- uh conventions that aren't organized by big mega corpos go through, which is dealing with lines and people. They unfortunately I had some friends that I knew that did luck out really bad on day one because of the line situation. But apparently in day two it had like a much better flow to it. So it's just mm-hmm. one of those like natural convention flaw moments, but also overall, yeah. Yeah, it was like pretty, pretty fun. The wackiness of having all these other conventions coexisting as well kind of made it crazy and yeah. fun in a way. Like I will never forget. <laughs> I'll never mm-hmm. forget this moment. Oh my god! But yeah, that's our little Annie Manga Corner. I don't know, listeners, if you went to this convention, if you had your own stories to share, you can let us know through all our social medias: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You already know. And yeah, till next time, whenever we talk about anime ever again. Huzzah. Huzzah. I hope you enjoyed the three songs we just played, all different flavours of indie rock. First up, we played a very 90s sounding song uh, called Cloud Cuckoo Land by Jong-woo from her album of the same name. After that, we played Scumbag by Barming Tiger. Barming Tiger are ostensibly a hip-hop group, but the back half of their new album, January Never Dies, is very alt-rock. This song in particular is just straight-up dance punk, I'm thinking like LCD sound system. After that, we played a math rock track from Indonesian band Woes and the track is called BBM or Beef Bone Marrow. This comes from their recent album Temporal Dimension. And with that we've reached the end of the show for tonight. Thank you so much for joining the Asian Pop Nation team of Lee, Leisha and myself as we talk through the new album from Red Velvet, Chill Kill, as well as the new animated TV series Blue Eye Samurai and finally the anime convention Animaga which recently happened in Melbourne. We will be playing a couple more songs to end off the night starting with a song by the Korean artist Very Koi Bunny great name called Now or Never this song I've chosen as a closer for tonight's show because it reminds me of a song that would play at the end of a 90s movie I'm thinking like Where Is My Mind by the Pixies anyway I hope you guys enjoy it good night everybody